Today, we finally talk that Grace closing story, where I give my unique perspective as a member of that opening team. The super sad news on Paul Bocuse, David Chang, News Times 2 in this episode, Flynn McGarry, also News Times 2, and a big-time magazine's closing story all the way down. Well, not closing all the way down, but returning from its uh, pinnacle moment, plus a few extra stories coming up. Welcome back to the show, folks. My name is Justin Kana. This is episode 48 of The Emulsion, a show where I talk all about the news stories and industry happenings that matter to me as I navigate my career as a professional chef. Hey, have you guys seen uh, Iron Man, the first one, where he gets to the, the question about the Playboy models? That is this week's show. Last week, I didn't record an episode. I was on holiday. It is the first calendar week that I've missed in the history of this show. Uh, but there's two episodes this week, so that's that's where that joke comes in. But uh, I will be traveling to Atlanta this weekend, and I'm going to sit down with Dosfi for the follow-up to that episode. So right off the bat here, if you have questions about creativity or food as art or um, aesthetics or eating out, I would love for you to comment those down below or tweet at me uh, or hit me up on Instagram or, or even Dosfi on Instagram. I will be sure to ask him those questions for you guys. Thank you so much for joining in. We're going to get right into it into a second. But uh, first, shout out to everyone on Patreon supporting this show and me and what I create here on the interwebs. You guys are the bomb. If you're interested in giving me some of your hard-earned money in return for all this free content I put out for you folks, I have it set up to start as little as $1 per month. Uh, I'm more or less interested in taking Patreon into the kind of donation spectrum for support. Uh, going forward, especially when I'm kind of a one-man show like I am right now. I teased it a little bit in episode 46, but, you know, like juggling both um, all the content that I put out for free and then kind of making Patreon this like paid platform for you guys, I'm feeling like prioritizing certain people and that doesn't really make me feel the best just because you either can or can't afford or do or don't want to pay for what I put out on that platform. So I want all my content to be free and if you want to help me do cooler projects, bring on more people, increase production quality, get better access to gear or people, then you can do that. That That's what Patreon should be for and that's what I want to kind of transition that into for you guys. Uh, only pay if you can or don't if you can't and that kind of model makes sure I can keep my speed up, right? Like, I feel like I was constantly worrying about either releasing videos early or doing, like, certain videos just for the Patreon people. Uh, I'm still going to keep live streams a thing. Uh, we have to do it for January, so if you guys want a private Q&A with me on that platform, I will be doing that next week. So uh, if you guys do want to support and have kind of a uh, ask-me-anything uh, that is what's going to happen on that platform. Anyways, enough with the Patreon stuff. Today's beverage... I actually picked this up. I was inspired by my girlfriend's uh, purchase the other week. The uh, LaCroix Curate. Uh, this one is uh, uh, melon and pomelo. Actually, they're, 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 uh, I think it is in Spanish, and they're actually calling it mel uh, cantaloupe pink grapefruit sparkling water. Um, it's a little bit too soon in the morning for me to have my second cup of coffee. I'm probably going to have it after I put this up. But uh, insanely refreshing not, 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 not any sugar kind of like curbs my any soda cravings I want to have. I'm a big fan. Not sponsored by LaCroix. I wish we were, but we're not. So the first story today, the one that I'm most guilty, actually, about not covering yet on the show, uh, because it's almost a month old, uh, Grace, Curtis Duffy's three-star restaurant in Chicago, has permanently closed. 
And the biggest reason that I didn't cover this story right away, one, I had two interview shows to do. So that was kind of like, in no way, shape, or form did, did this story fit into either of those two shows. But two, I actually had plans to make a specific standalone video all about my entire experience with that restaurant and... Because of how things worked, I wasn't actually legally sure I could talk about it, like my experience there. But with all the problems that they have going on right now, I feel like me being one dude that talks about it isn't going to cause that much panic or stress. And I'm also pretty sure what I'm going to talk about isn't really going to delve into any legal issues. But anyways, yes, I was on the opening team of Grace. And for everyone that hasn't seen in the past month, it closed. Uh, What ended up happening was... Michael Muser, who is the general manager of Grace, he runs the front of the house department, left on or got fired, depending on who you talk to, on December 1st. And then Curtis Duffy, who is the chef, the uh, main source of that restaurant, also stopped showing up to work. And then after that, all of the staff followed. So there was no kitchen staff, there was no general manager, there was no head chef. The restaurant was forced to close. And that was the story. That is exactly what happened. Uh, but anyways, I was on the opening team of that restaurant back in 2012, so I do feel particularly qualified to talk about this. Uh, so I want to tell you guys exactly what happened, my experience with the restaurant coming, especially as me being part of the opening team, uh, exactly what happened. And then that will hopefully give you some context, which will make sense once we start to talk about the, the kind of he said, she said, uh, that's currently happening with the story. So it was 2012, I needed my first job out of culinary school. I, the only experience I had was that per se, I had my culinary school experience. I went to the Culinary Institute of America. I did my six month externship at per se, and I had done a bunch of different stages around New York city. But the problem with that was I didn't have any quote unquote line cook experience. So they were pretty hesitant to hire me. I sat down for my interview. I got their connection from this guy. I mean, you guys all know probably Greg Backstrom. Now he was at a Terra in New York. And I did a stage there because I wanted to work there. I really wanted to go back to Per Se. That was my, my my big goal. And so I got in touch with Greg. He was like, you should go check out this guy, Curtis Duffy. He's opening this spot, and it's going to be huge in Chicago. I was like, okay. I'm really interested in fine dining. I really want to explore what it's like. I actually wanted a restaurant in Chicago for a long time. I, I'm from Wisconsin. I wanted to be in the Midwest, closer closer to my family. And so it was the perfect storm. It was it, the, the opportunity to be part of an opening team at a place that was shooting for three stars with a guy who had worked under Grant Ackett's. It was, was going to be the perfect restaurant for me. So I sat down and they were really concerned that I didn't have enough restaurant line cook experience. And that was really hard for me to take. I, I, I wasn't really sure what to say to them. So what had happened was I looked on Eater, much how I researched the stories for, for this show, and I saw that Curtis was going to be doing an interview with Michael Muser at a bar, some random bar in Chicago, all talking about the opening of Grace. So I was 19 years old. I went up to the door and I told them, hey, listen, I, I'm not going to buy a drink. I just need to be in this bar for this interview with the chef. And they're like, okay, you, uh, you can't buy any alcoholic drinks. You have to sit at this very specific seat in the bar. We can't let you go out and do any shots with anybody, but we'll let you in. So I got in, I sat through his entire presentation and I came up to him at the end of the talk and I said, listen, I know that I can't exactly show you or stage with you because the restaurant isn't open yet, but I really am interested in what you're doing and I'd be sincerely appreciative for the opportunity to work with you. 
and he was just so impressed that the day that I interviewed, I also showed up to an event that he did. He gave me the job on the spot. He shook my hand and said, welcome to Grace, and that was exactly how it happened. And I remember I'm literally getting goosebumps talking about it because it was a really, really proud moment for me. And all the scenes that you see in the Four Grace documentary, all the, like, where there's uh, only, like, maybe three or four people in the kitchen, I was there. Uh, that was... Uh, the two, the, the two sous chefs, the three sous chefs and the pastry chef and Curtis would uh, take over restaurant spaces uh, at like five in the morning before they were open to test dishes, to get media hype, to work on this documentary that they're doing. And I told them that I wanted to come, that I wanted to be there. And I was the only cook, the only one on staff that wasn't in management that was there at those meetings because I was young and I was hungry and I wanted it. So it opened, they, they were, it was a little bit late. Uh, we were all getting paid pretty much minimum wage, which was unfortunate, but, uh, that's how it was. And so we worked really long hours and after probably two or three weeks of being open, we all started to look at our paychecks and we we're like, we're not getting paid overtime. And that was really frustrating because he had that whole lawsuit with Charlie Trotter, uh, Curtis did. And to see that he wasn't paying his staff any overtime was really, really frustrating. And so that was really hard for a lot of the staff, especially the guys who took a pay cut to take the job at Grace. There was maybe uh, 13 of us cooks in the kitchen, and it was really hard coming from all over the place with all different pedigrees and, and Michelin stars on our resumes to not get paid overtime. And so what ended up happening, and this is where the legality part comes is, and that's why I'm pretty sure I can talk about it, is because we all agreed to take back wages instead of uh, suing, basically, for them not paying us overtime. And so that's what happened. They all gave us back wages, which I'm almost positive was not enough what we were supposed to be getting paid, but that's that's what happened. We all agreed to kind of like stop and not talk about it and just continue to move on. So that's what happened. We continued. Uh, we were not maxing out every single night, which was also super frustrating. We would cap it at maybe like 35 people every night. And uh, we could probably max out at like 70. So that was really frustrating for me. And it didn't really make sense as a young culinarian to be in a restaurant where they couldn't afford to pay us, but they weren't uh, maximizing revenue. That was really hard for me to take. And also it was really hard because Curtis wasn't there as often as I wanted it was just not my dream. It was just not exactly what I, I envisioned in my head. It was I had this fantasy of like learning under Curtis Duffy and him teaching me all the time and it being this uh, thing, this platform for creativity. They had a basement underneath the restaurant where they all promised us for there was going to be cookbooks and laptops where we could come in and do a bunch of uh, creative stuff and brainstorm new dishes and what that basement ended up turning into was like the beer pong room and the place where we would just sit and watch movies and everyone would get drunk after service on Saturday night. It was, it didn't turn out to be the restaurant that I wanted it to be. So I gave my two week notice. I went to Curtis and I said, you know, listen, I'm interested in moving on. I had already accepted a position at the French Laundry, which was <laughs> secure. And it, I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him that. I just told him that I was interested in leaving. And what he had told me was that I should be ashamed. I worked for him for eight months. I put in uh, almost a month and a half of like tearing down the roof of the basement and painting the walls uh, just to get work, just to get hours. And he told me that I should be ashamed for not working for him for a year. 
And that was also really hard for me uh, because it was someone that I did look up to and someone that I did want mentorship from. And they did not treat me well the last two weeks that I was there. It was not it was not fun to be at that restaurant for the last two weeks. A lot of people walked out. A lot of people just stopped showing up to work. Uh, a lot of people just didn't give him any respect when they left. And so I felt like it was the right thing to do to give me my to give my two weeks. Uh, two people had left. Three people had left before I left. Uh, there's a lot of drama that happened with that restaurant. And that's what happens when there's ego and, and, and all this money and all this ambition going for these big things to happen. And I want all of this to be said not to share sob story because it's not really a sob story. I, I learned a lot and it was something that I, I needed to happen in my career. But uh, that's exactly... I need to preface this story with all of this, this stuff because... Uh, all of it makes sense as, as we go forward. So fast forward now to December 21st and the news drops that Grace closed. And so what gives? What happened? Well, there was a bunch of news that came out around the story even after the original press releases that Eater and everyone just kind of snapped up to report. Interestingly enough, it got a rebuttal that not a ton of them reported uh, from Chicago Magazine from the only investor in the restaurant, Mike Olzelski. Uh, he put forward $3 million in total to Grace. I think it was one point something million right away. And then he continued to invest along along the way. But this was back in 2012, right? And since that investment, Grace, uh, this is quoting now, quote, Grace did well. It was profitable eight months after opening, and he has recouped his entire investment. This year, Duffy and Muser were scheduled to participate in revenue sharing with Olszewski, with profits divided evenly amongst the three. Olszewski says the pair would have been earning substantially more than each of their $160,000 annual salaries. Through a spokeswoman, Duffy and Muser declined to be interviewed. Their employment contracts spanned an initial 10 years, and they were renewable every year after that, with any party allowing an exit by giving a written notice at least 30 days prior to the end of the term, end quote. So they were committed. They were committed for 10 years. I think it was uh, 60 or $80,000 a year, don't quote me on it, for the initial X amount of time. Once he got his money back, they increased his their salaries to $160,000 a year plus an equal split on profits after that, which is crazy. That like I, I can only imagine getting paid that much as, as, a, as a chef, but the, the, the problem that comes now is that they broke the contract. It has not been 10 years since Grace opened, and because they didn't give written notice even at all, uh, they just kind of left and maybe maybe or maybe not got fired, that results in them, Curtis and Michael, not being able to either open or invest or participate in restaurants in Chicago or any of the counties surrounding Chicago for 18 months. So this will be interesting to see what happens in this kind of limbo time period for the two of them. But that was the point where a lot of people either got pissed off or went one one direction or the other. This 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 breach of this breach of contract and more importantly that this was in the contract that they couldn't just get up and leave and then open another place down the street and you know, take all of that with with them. So Olszewski also saying, quote, my sole purpose was to be the armchair investor, but after getting everything going, I saw this wasn't going to be the case. When we first opened, some things were just catastrophic. The build-out took a year and a half. It should have taken, taken six to eight months. I negotiated for all of our food prices from the beginning. Most restaurants fail. A lot of them do. I had to take an active role or Grace would not have operated at the financial level that it did, end quote. 
And as someone, this, this is interesting because when, when the whole not paying us overtime thing happened, I remember distinctly Curtis saying, I had no idea you guys were not getting paid. And that to me was also shocking as, as, as a young cook because my whole thing was that the head chef should know exactly what's happening on the books at all times. And maybe that was my failure. If he had an investor who was going to be controlling the books, that's not his area. That's not where he should be uh, spending his time. But anyways, it, it's interesting to me to see all of this happening afterwards from an outsider's perspective now that I've matured a little bit. And as far as how quickly everything escalated, quote, the last eight months, business was declining. Revenues were down 20, 25, 30%, but expenses were up 6 to 9%. It was Tuesday, December 19th. I wanted to talk to Curtis. He didn't show up for work. The next day, people weren't showing up for work. Curtis never spoke to me. He never gave me notice or anything. I found out he quit from the New York Times story, end quote. How do you think that makes me feel? Anyways, regardless, there's also some health department allegations. So you can see this entire scenario is just a mess, right? I, I don't want to use my not so great experience there as a reason to talk bad about anyone involved in the story, because truthfully, it, it sucks, right? Curtis's dream was grace. He worked incredibly hard for it. And regardless of how it turned out in my head, right, however I wanted it to, to be is besides the point, right? It wasn't my restaurant, but as someone who had experience with them before opening, before three stars, through interviews and beers after work and service, like, I spent time with these people, right? Like, there's an incredible amount of ego at play, and that's something I can confidently say, right? The fact that they complained, of the, there's literally an article that, that says they complained about not having enough creative freedom at Grace, right? Like, that, that's crazy. They, they, they said the same thing at Avenues when the hotel made them jump through hoops to buy new plates, for service, right? Like this dude built you a custom kitchen in your perfect space and be just and because revenues are down, maybe he isn't going to be that happy about you ordering weird exotic expensive ingredients or getting that new pottery for the beef course, right? Like again, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than Curtis Duffy or Michael Muser. Forget about the silly drama and the allegations and the he said, she said stuff. Like, this industry is about relationships. And if you're going to get into bed with someone financially, you have to be willing to compromise on certain things. And if grace is your dream and you, you have it, right, like you have this restaurant, why in the world are you complaining? right? Like if you want to be a hundred percent owner of the restaurant, negotiate it in a contract. Like maybe it takes two or five or eight years, but if that's your dream, your one big professional goal in life, why in the world would you be dramatic about not being able to have it right now? To me, it's just a lack of patience. It's unrealistic expectations. It's the same ego driven, empty promises that I dealt with when I was part of the team. And I want you to be aware of this kind of stuff, it, just like all the other stories, good or bad, that I cover on this show, so you can protect yourself, so you can be smart in situations where people want your skills or your name or whatever you bring to the table. I'm going through it right now, right? Like, someone wants to hire me to run a portion of their business, and I'm not going to start until I get a ton of stuff in writing. And it's not being nitpicky, it's just being smart, right? Like, one line in a contract could have saved this entire situation, if Curtis and Michael really wanted to buy Grace from the get-go, they were either too short-sighted to put it in the contract, or they're scumbags for thinking they could gain enough leverage to swindle their one investor out of the business. Like, these stories, as you pay attention in your career, are the ones that will bring you the most value down the road, right? Like, they might even save you hundreds of thousands of dollars 
So good on you for listening to this show and paying attention to, to, to my rants. Uh, does anybody have any questions? I, I, I we're, we're, we're live right now. There's a, a few of you listening. I want to pose any questions. I will get back to them as the show comes to a close, but I, I, that was a lot, and that was super heavy. I do want to transition into something completely ridiculous uh, to take the burden, to, to take the weight off of everyone's shoulders, shake it out. A pizzeria in Brooklyn called Vinny's Pizzeria has created Tide Pods Pizza. It's actually called Pied Pods, but with the current madness that's happening on the internet with people eating Tide Pods on camera for views and getting sick and being stupid, yes, this is an actual thing if you're not familiar. I just think it's such a smart play on pop culture for these pizza guys. Whether or not the blue and orange dyed mozzarella on the bites is actually tasty or not, I give people, uh, uh, I, I say give people their blue and orange edible food, not the kind that you have to call the Poison Control Center about. Next up, the 24-year-old food publication Saver is going through a bit of a transition. 70 of their employees were laid off. The editor-in-chief Adam Sachs' tenure with them is also over. Again, with stories like Lucky Peach closing down, this is a little bit more of a mainstream hit. A lot of people speaking out on Twitter. Sad that it's happening. However, the transition means that they're now a quarterly publication with their goals being to, quote, keep up our original digital content, end quote, which is for their website as well as for Facebook. I checked. They're not the best videos. They're, there's no uh, characters that get involved. It's kind of the cliche Facebook video that you you would expect to see someone cooking with a little bit of text over the, the video that is their original online content. But it's just a change with the times, right? Like, I, I know way more about Bon Appetit's videos because they invest more. Their production quality is better. They have the same hosts on over and over again. I've seen uh, Food 52 on Instagram. I know it's a Food 52 photo. Just a ton of people uh, refusing to adapt and evolve. It's it, it's not that surprising for me to see stuff like this happen. Unfortunately, it sucks, but food and wine is downsizing. Like, how many of you are actually pumped to read the next issue of Sever? right? Like, none of us. And that's going to be the end of this story. The internet is where it's at. If you don't change, you're going to die. That's just how it is. Next up, a fantastic story that I was super excited to hear about. Justin Timberlake had Noma cater his album release party. Yes, the album is called Man of the Woods, and it is now making sense in your head because they served bites like uh, black garlic oil, uh, black garlic, rose oil, and ants, sea urchin and kelp pie, Abel Skaver and Grasshopper, and Pork Cracklin, Chocolate, and Dried Berries. So it all happened in New York City, where Noma did a pop-up back in September. If you guys don't remember, that cost $2,000 a head. Craziness. But uh, this is just an example of being super niche and being hired to do what you do best. And when that happens, you can charge whatever you want. And I'm sure it was not cheap for this event to happen. But it's Justin Timberlake, so it's fine. Next up, super unfortunate news. I was on a plane from Paris when it happened, and I landed back in the U.S. to find out that Paul Bocuse had died at age 91. He died in his restaurant in Lyon. I want to spare the people that already read the articles and know the stories, but I do want to share a story of my own uh, in culinary school on the first day when I was at the Culinary Institute of America. They gathered up all of us new kids into an auditorium, and the president of the school came out. We were all just super nervous sitting in our chef whites, or I think we were in dress clothes. And he gave a talk about ambition and working hard, and he posed the question, who knows who Chef Paul Bocuse is? And 
of the 85 of us in the room, maybe five of us raised their hand, and I was not one of them. I did not know who Paul Bocuse was. I knew the modern chefs. I knew Grant Ackett's and Thomas Keller and Ferran Adria, but you go back in the lineage, and Paul Bocuse is really the granddaddy of all of them, right? Like, if, 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 if you're... If you're like I was and you don't know who Paul Bocuse is, I linked up a fantastic piece, the best article I've seen of him passing away. New York Times did an amazing piece that does a great breakdown of his classic dishes, his impact on the industry, and his legacy that will ultimately outlive him. So I hope he rests in peace and I wish the best for his family and friends. Uh, I will end this story with a particularly inspiring quote that I'm living by right now from him on media and self-promotion that goes, quote, you've got to beat the drum in life. God is already famous, but that doesn't stop the preacher from ringing the church bells every morning, end quote. Next up, a super smart move by David Chang, and more importantly on Netflix uh, for getting more original food content going and picking good people for their shows, he's got a new show coming to the platform called Ugly Delicious. The goal being, quote, Ugly Delicious will cover myriad cuisines with input from food fanatics like Alan Yang, Ruth Reichel, Peter Meehan, Jessica Koslow, uh, Justin Yu, Ali Wong, uh, Renee Redzepi, Jimmy Kimmel, Roy Choi, and Eater's own Serena Dai. Chang says the goal was to create a collaborative forum, a place where it's okay to have strong opinions and honest conversations about food, end quote. It premieres on February 23rd. There's a little trailer segment from Ali Wong that seems uh, pretty, it's refreshing. It's real. It's authentic. They're like at a restaurant and they complain that the uh, place is a little bit too bright and peppy. They want the places that are kind of a little bit more grungy. They talk about Yelp a little bit. It's an interesting piece. I'm excited to see the conversations that happen with a show like that, Uh, especially because uh, Netflix's current food shows are the kind of dramatic and pompous cinematography type shows like Chef's Table or Michael Pollan's Cooked. Uh, I'm excited to watch this show. Will you be watching? I'd be interested uh, to know if you guys are pumped about a show like this or not. Let me know in the comments. Also, a quick little tack on, there are now photos from Major Domo, which is Chang's first restaurant in LA, complete with like 30 pictures of the dining room. It's a little weird to see, uh, but that that's all linked up in the article down below. I just want to continue giving you guys updates on this story as it transpires. It's going to be interesting to see how this space does. Um, it's a huge space. Uh, it seems pretty basic, nothing super special about the, the, the interior. I'm sure there's stories about everything that goes into it, but I just don't think that it has the same character as the like OG Momofuku spots in New York City. But it's meant to be a spot that says, uh, quote, truly takes a unique approach to Los Angeles cuisine, end quote. So we'll see what happens. I just want to keep keep you guys in the loop. Next up, Flynn McGarry is in the news, which I have to preface, I'm a huge fan of that guy. No joke. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a popular opinion or not. It seems like now that he's not 11 anymore, people are actually respecting him. He's 19 now and is supposedly opening an all-day restaurant in New York City. And it's going to start with pastries during the day, starting at 8 a.m., and small plates for dinner up until midnight. And I personally love the idea. We've covered the fact that he's, quote, so done with pop-ups. And again, 
all of this is speculation. It's not, there hasn't been an official announcement from Flynn. Eater apparently did some digging that his sister Paris applied for a liquor license on the space, and they've actually seen Flynn inside the old Cafe Henry space in New York City. So this is just an example of uh, someone going back to basics. He's done with the quote-unquote fine dining side of things. He wants to cook more, uh, running a profitable business, uh, taking taking advantage, full advantage of the space that you have. Uh, that that's coming from not just serving dinning, dinner tasting menus stuff, and going into stuff like serving pastries in the morning. If you're passionate about it and it brings people in and it brings you more revenue, I'm all about it. It's smart, but the thing that caught my eye about the article was that it's going to be open seven days a week. Not only is it an all-day restaurant, but it's an all-the-time restaurant. So if you're 19 and you got it like that, good on you, Flynn. I just don't want this to be a recipe for burnout for the young chef. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, how he juggles that. I know he has been big on traveling the last few uh, months, so we'll see how that also factors into it. Because if you do have an all-day space and you want to be cooking all the time, it's good to say that on paper, but after eight months of doing that, how exactly do you feel and do you delegate? Do you remove yourself? Are you only there for dinner? Like, how does this all transpire? It's going to be interesting and a story that I'm going to be paying attention to going forward. But even taking it a step back, there's a documentary about him coming out tomorrow at Sundance, which should be super interesting. Another piece of content that I'm super interested to watch whenever that comes out uh, and where that comes out. We'll see. Next up, I sincerely hope you're subscribed to me on YouTube. I gave an update to the Patreon squad uh, earlier this morning. There's a ton of videos planned for me this week. This is actually a double upload day. I'm scheduled to have videos every single day this week. I have uh, this place called uh, Royster, which is a restaurant that I went to in Chicago, Grant Atkins' casual spot. That episode's coming out later today. So I hope you guys are just excited as I am. There's a new video all about my uh, chef uh, knife sharpening gear that just dropped yesterday. I've got, uh, again, four This Place Called episodes dropping this week. Uh, in addition to Royster, there's David Toutain in Paris, Osteria Francescana, and Solare here in Seattle. Those are all dropping this week. I'm stoked for that. I have a ton of video editing to do, but uh, that's a little humble brag, a little shameless plug. So make sure you're subscribed on YouTube or following on Twitter and on Instagram. It's going to be a good week from content for me. So last up, our non-industry story, Hubert, my best friend and guest on the podcast from last week, uh, gifted me a Nintendo Switch for my birthday slash Christmas, and I've been playing Zelda Breath of the Wild, and guys, it's freaking dope. I, like, I haven't had so much fun playing a video game in a while, and I took a look at a tutorial on YouTube for this part that I was having trouble with and saw how much more I have to play in the game. It just got me super excited, right? Like, I've been playing... Um, video games since as long as I can remember. Uh, ever since I moved to Europe, I stopped just to focus a little bit more on work, but I'm finding it's incredibly therapeutic for me. Uh, and it also stimulates my creativity quite a bit. I get a ton of ideas and uh, interesting insights as I'm playing. And I love single player kind of open world problem solving games. And Zelda is just uh, great for that. It is just fun. It's not competitive with anyone else or multiplayer online. Uh, Plus, the Switch is just an incredible piece of tech. Uh, I can play it on my TV. It can be in my hands. It's just the best. I'm having a ton of fun with it. So are, are any of you guys playing Nintendo Switch? Uh, me and Anna are also having a great time with Mario Kart 8. It is a really fun way for us to spend time together that is not eating or falling asleep watching movies, which is what we do 80% of the time. 
So with that, this has been episode 48 of The Emulsion. Thank you so much for listening. Just a quick little reminder before you take off. If you want to support this or any of the other content I do for as little as $1 per month, that is like less than a pair of socks, I would love for you to check out my page on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash justinkana. If you can't swing the Patreon right now, but you still want to support what I do, I am in the process of building my email list. Uh, go ahead and check out my website, justinconnor.com. Click on the newsletter button, and we will get you all set up with that. If you have stories you want covered on next week's show, uh, that will actually be next week again. If you have questions for Dawsby, that's going to happen uh, this weekend. Shoot them to me on Twitter and hashtag the emulsion so I can find them. Subscribe if you aren't already. Definitely leave a thumbs up on this video or consider leaving a review on iTunes if you listen there. Regardless of where you are, I appreciate your ears. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. My name's Justin Kana. Have a good one.